Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. Last week we went through Revelation chapters 12 through 14, but we only ended up going through chapters 12 and 13. We missed out on 14. But if we look at Revelation in kind of like sections, chapter 14 does belong with chapters 12 and 13 too. So we need to hit chapter 14 before we move on. John, in his writing, will often use parallel thoughts or repeated phrases, uh, repeated themes to help teach the spiritual reality he wants us to see. And the Holy Spirit is an excellent writer, inspiring perfect literary technique to help us remember. And he leaves an impression in such a way that he makes the scripture relevant to our lives today, just as he made the scripture relevant to those first century Christians. One literary device the Holy Spirit uses that helps drive home a point is contrast. Contrasts are used throughout the entire Bible. You've, you've seen them before. Light versus darkness, salty versus tasteless, love and hate, slave and free, Flesh versus the spirit, disobedience and obedience, justified by law and justified by grace, wisdom and foolishness. And just like the other writings in scripture, Revelation uses contrasts and often applies the contrast in these grand sweeping symbols. Striking contrasts capture our attention in ways that other explanations don't achieve. In Revelation, the contrasts are clear and striking, but they also leave us with a choice to make. Remember, to be blessed by reading and hearing Revelation, we have to obey what it tells us. In Revelation, Scripture reveals choices that we are called to make. And one such symbol used in Revelation is between the dragon and his two beasts and the way they operate in the world with force and coercion and violence and killing and the lamb and how he operates found in chapters 13 and 14. Remember last week when we got to chapter 13, the first beast of the dragon, he was uttering proud and blasphemous words and he was waging war against God's holy people and even killing them. You know the way of the beast. We're seeing it across America right now. Racism and violence are two of the ways the dragon and his beasts practice. And the contrast occurs when God's people don't fight back. They go to their deaths faithfully as martyrs. What other kind of kingdom in the entire world works this way? Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. That was one of the main points of Revelation chapter 13, right in the middle of those two beasts. Then the second beast forced people to worship the first beast and take a mark on their foreheads and hands. You remember 666, the mark of the beast? But the contrast is there. And our choice over the past 13 chapters in Revelation has been made clear. Will we compromise our faith and worship the beast? and therefore be connected to the kingdom of darkness, connected with the dragon who is Satan? Or will we worship God and his trinity? And our actions will be conquering and victorious through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. 
One way will lead to gratification, living on earth, and then judgment and punishment in hell. And the other way will lead to tribulation on earth, and then rewards and eternal life in heaven. No wonder Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I love how chapter 14 in our study today contrasts with chapter 13 and the beast and the second beast and their way. Here's what chapter 14 verse 1 says. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Our way is a contrast between those of the world and those of Christ, in particular those who have died living out their lives with faithfulness and have gone to heaven. This contrast is to be with the Lamb. The Lamb here is a symbol of Jesus Christ, and it carries with it the idea of sacrificial death, laying down your life. Peter, who was one of Jesus's and John the Revelator's best friends, wrote to Christians of the first century, you were bought from the empty way of life handed down to you with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And Paul, one of Peter and John's fellow workers in the gospel, echoed the same thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. In Revelation 14.1, this weak, vulnerable lamb is a stark contrast to the fearsome might of two deadly beasts. This is one of the reasons the world hates Jesus. Jesus seems so foolish to the world. One group wants to rule, so they're going to do so with power, using force to get their way. And the other group wants to rule through wise leaders, but even they will fight to get what they want. But we... We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to those who want to rule through might and foolishness to those looking for practical wisdom. But to those who God has called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And so John looked, and there before him was the Lamb. Which will you stand with? Who will you choose? Will you take up the mark of Christ and stand with the Lamb and His ways, or will you take up the mark of the beast and stand with His ways? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says this, Although Jesus was crucified in weakness, He now lives by the power of God. And verse 4 continues, and that's where our choice continues. We too are weak just as Christ was, Yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. Chapter 14 in Revelation is going to continue on that same theme. It's going to give us ways that appear foolish to win the day, but they are the ways of Christ and his followers, and they are the ways to victory. There are three actions in chapter 14 that Christ followers can take to win the victory. Worship, holy living, and preaching. Those seem foolish. They seem like a stumbling block. But this is the way of the Lamb. Look at verse 2 in 
in verse in chapter 14. This is the first way to win the victory, and it's worship. Verse 2 says, And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Look at the sounds coming out of heaven. This is the call to Christ followers that God's will on earth will be done just as it is in heaven. These priests in heaven surrounding the Lamb are singing a new song. In Revelation, those in Christ are given a new name and now are given a new song. It's special and unique to be part of the Lord's army. And only those in Christ who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb and die in faith can know this song. And they sing this victorious song. Does your, does your heart begin to stir when you think about singing to God? A couple of weeks ago, we had 10 people come into the church building to help us start ramping back up for when we regather for worship. We just had 10. I wanted to see how we could maybe come into the building and stay six feet apart and look at how communion would work and how we could open the doors without touching anything or anybody or even breathing on anybody. How would this work? I, I was doing it for pure practical and logistic reasons. And we were using the same worship you're using, the online worship. Those 10 peoples that came in to the building to show me logistically what it would look like, we watched on the video the worship. And when they stood to sing, tears started coming down my face. Having the Lord's people together singing praise to the Lamb is beautiful. I keep getting more and more excited about how our church is going to regather again on June 21st so that we can sing together in worship of the Lamb. But worship is not just beautiful and heart-stirring. It's also the way Christians war. In Revelation, worship is war, and it brings peace. In Milwaukee, a group of protesters walk the streets singing Waymaker. The, the chorus goes like this. You are here in our midst working in this place. You are the Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Worship is our warfare. Would you join with the prayer vigil in Las Vegas? Prayer in Las Vegas, on the strip, for the police officer who was in critical condition because he was shot in the head during a violent protest. Will you take a knee with the police and protesters in Miami-Dade County and Florida and pray your way of war? Would you join with the brothers and sisters in Christ to wage war like the lamb? This is the contrast and the choice Revelation is calling us to, to make. Even closer to home, look at this picture in Fostoria, Ohio. It's a little under three hours from where I live. Black life protesters gathered and knelt for nine minutes to be in solidarity with each other and with George Floyd and his family and all those who have suffered at the hands of racism and violence. And then the rally leader's megaphone stopped working. The police chief of, uh, came out, Keith Loreno, and let the, the rally leader borrow the police's megaphone. 
the rally leader handed the megaphone over to his pastor, and the pastor called for prayer. The protest leader, the pastor, and the police chief got down on their knees and prayed together for change and for peace. The war of the Lamb and his followers is fought with worship. Will you join with those who are marked by the Lamb, or will you join with those marked by the beast? Our way to do war is the Lamb's way, and it's through worship. The number two action we can take that we find in Revelation 14, the Lamb's way, is also through holy living. Look at verse 4. These are those, the ones around the throne, who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. The symbolic descriptions used of those in the kingdom of God is purity, commitment, and truth speaking. That's what those symbols mean, starting with verse 4. The term virgin is used as a symbol. It just means to remain pure. It's a description used in Scripture to talk about the church, the bride of Christ. And even for warriors in a holy war that do not go home to their wives while they are called into battle. And here the symbol is used to describe the purity of the followers of Christ. Then notice their commitment. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They are committed to following Christ even if it means they follow Jesus to their own sacrificial death. And they did so because 14.4 says they were purchased and offered as first fruits. That's sacrificial language. These followers of Christ had followed Jesus to their sacrificial death. They were presented to God and the Lamb as victorious Christ followers. These warriors for Christ who've gone to their death because of their worship of Christ and the word of their testimony are in the presence of the Lord and they continue to speak the truth. That's what it means when no lie was found in their mouths and they're blameless. In scripture, there are several ties to the symbol of no lie or no deceit found in their mouths and it all hinges on faithfulness. John is alluding to the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 13 starts like this. And it's God speaking of those who will join with him. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. And Zephaniah's prophecy, singing, follows what he just said. Sing, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment, and he's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you never again. Will you fear any harm? Other passages of Scripture describe deceitful mouths as slandering believers. That's found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 9. Or saying that Jesus is not the Christ. That's in 1 John chapter 2. Or giving false propaganda of the beast. That's what we just read in Revelation chapter 13. But the followers of Christ, part of their holy living, part of being pure, part of being committed to follow Jesus wherever he goes, is speaking the truth. How's your truth speaking going? Are you willing to speak the truth about Christ and his ways, even if it means you'll be looked down upon? Are you committed to following Christ into what appears to be weakness so that you can be made strong? And how's your purity? Staying pure is the way of the lamb followers. Our purity is equally in danger. If we're covering our faces and acting in violence, 
or if we're secretly watching pornography. And Jesus gives us the choice, the way of the lamb or the way of the beast. The third action we see in chapter 14 for victory with the lamb is an action that can take place on earth, and that's preaching. Notice the preaching here in 14 is uh, all the aspects that make up a good sermon or a good testimony. It's a great way to bear witness for the Lord. In chapter 14, the, the preaching occurs from angels, God's messengers, and it covers the gospel, a, prof- a prophetic word of, of doom, a warning, and encouragement. Verse 6 has the gospel presentation. Then John saw, I is what he says there, then I saw an, another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. How how is fear God the gospel? Because if you have reverence for God, you will obey him. You will repent and turn to Christ for salvation. Turning to Jesus is how you give God glory. Fear God and giving glory is the basis of our good news, and it's exactly the words we need to hear. As we prepare ourselves mentally and emotionally to rely on God for our strength, we need to be reminded, fear God and give him glory. When we are tempted to sin, we need to be reminded and we need to hear the words, fear God and give him glory. Isn't, aren't those words what Derek Chauvin needed to hear as he knelt on, the George, on George Floyd's neck? Fear God. Give him glory. Aren't these the words looters need to hear before they steal? Isn't this what we need to hear right now? Preaching is how we do our warfare. And the whole earth needs to hear it. That's that four-part entire creation terminology we used when John was given the scroll in chapter 10. Every nation, tribe, language, and people. And it's It's the echo of what Jesus told us in the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Fear God and give him glory. And this message will be sweet in our mouths as it turns people to Christ and they repent and come to faith and they put down their violence and they take up love. But when people turn and attack us or even ignore us, it will be sour in our stomachs. And this is the example we have in 14. But it's not just good news. The sour part is the judgment. The bad news is attached. The hour of judgment has come. And this is the prophetic word of doom in verse 8. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Notice the contrast between the pure virgin and the adulteries of Babylon. And this is the first time we've encountered Babylon in Revelation. And it is already declared fallen because the way of the beast and all those who follow the way of the beast will end in death and destruction. Judgment is already declared over the way of the dragon and all those who participate in their ways. They're doomed. 
And then following in this sermon outline is the warning. Good preaching has warnings and, give other, and gives others time to repent. That's God's way. This is his way of warfare. Verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Do we need to hear it again? <laughs> Jesus seems to think so. If you join in the way of the beast, if you deny Christ, if you go down a path that leads to death, if you willy, willingly ignore all that Christ has done for you and you reject him as your master, you will also be rejecting him as your savior. And only judgment and eternal punishment awaits. And our last word here, in this preaching message is encouragement. Stay strong, says Jesus, and if you remain faithful, you will be rewarded. Verse 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Notice they enter heaven because of the trust they have in Christ. The deeds don't go before them. They don't earn their way into heaven. They enter heaven and the deeds follow them to be rewarded for what they've done. People always ask me, are we living in the last days? Well, the short answer is yes, so be ready. The longer answer is we have to define the last days as the scripture defines the last days. Peter, Paul, James, John, and the author of Hebrews describes the time from Jesus' resurrection to his second coming as the last days. These are the only days, the ones you are living right now, that you have to make the choice. Join with the followers of the Lamb or stay with the mark of the beast. The end is near. We are living in the last days. And as we finish up chapter 14, Revelation shows us what the end of the world and Jesus' second coming will look like. Chapter 14, verses 14 through 20, is a graphic description of the harvesting of the saints to glory and the harvesting of those who join with the beast to eternal wrath. It reminds us of a parable Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 13. And I think if we read the parable of Jesus in Matthew 13, we will understand the end of the world harvest that we found in Revelation chapter 14 better. So very quickly, just a parable from Jesus in Matthew 13. It starts with verse 24. And Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Think the beast here. Think the second beast that's making people worship the beast. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? 
No, he answered. Because while you, were pulling the, while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. You know, that idea of why doesn't God stop evil now is found right here in this parable. Why doesn't God put an end to evil? Because it would also destroy those who are good. Matthew continues a little bit later. And when the disciples got Jesus alone, in verse 36, here's what happens. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered them, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, those with the mark of the beast. And the enemy who sows them is the devil, the dragon. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Verse 40, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out the kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, here's the end of the world, described in Revelation 14. And Jesus could have ended his revelation right here, just like he could have ended at the end of chapter 6 and chapter 7. But we still have the seven trumpet to hear, and the seven bowls of wrath, and the judgment of the dragon, and the beast to see with another recap. And we still have the new heaven and the new earth to celebrate so we're not finished yet, but we're getting close. But this is a description of the end of the world. At the end of chapter 14, I looked, that's John speaking again, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Verse 17, another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. Then the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them in the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as his horse's bridle for the distance of 1,600 stadia. That's a lot of blood. If you wanted to measure the blood and you did the arithmetic on it, it'd be something like 200 miles of blood at six feet high. That's not the point John is making. We haven't, we haven't done the mathematical equation on any of our numbers. It's a symbol a symbol for a lot of blood. This judgment here found in Revelation 14 is on all people who are not attached to the lamb. They are harvested and crushed under God's wrath. We're back again to that choice we have to make. Will you take the way of the lamb, which appears to the world as foolish and weak, or will you take the mark of the beast? If you do take the mark of the beast, only being crushed under God's wrath is waiting for you. At the end of our time together, a lot of times we have what we call an invitation. 
And this is an invitation to either choose Christ or choose the beast. This is an invitation to choose the way of the lamb or to choose the way of the dragon, the way of the world. This is an invitation to do violence and looting to get your way or an invitation to worship and pray and sing and preach because this is the way to victory. Which will you choose? If you want to choose Christ and you have never done so, would you make your expression of faith, would you make your commitment to Christ public? Would you let it be known? Would you write in to the comment section of our Facebook page or our YouTube page or our uh, live on our webpage? Would you let somebody know that you want to follow Christ? And we want to follow up with you and help you make the next best decision you could make. Maybe it's just like you saw Kyler do when he was baptized. He has chosen Christ. He has chosen the way of the Lamb. And so he allowed himself to be buried into Jesus' death and raised by faith to a new life. If you want to make that commitment, would you make that commitment public right now? And don't wait, because this is the moment that you have for this. These are the last days. While you're still living, while it's still called today, make that choice. Or maybe you just need to repent because you've been backsliding. You haven't made your life pure. You haven't been speaking the truth. You haven't been committed to following Jesus in every area of your life. We had a grandmother call me this past week. And she said, my granddaughter knows Jesus, but there are certain areas of her life that she has not given to Christ. She needs to have her eyes opened to see the right way and turn to Jesus. Maybe that's how you've been living. You want Jesus as your Savior, but you have not committed to him as your master. And i got to tell you, the warning from Revelation is if you don't make Jesus your master, he may not be your Savior. If that's you, would you make your commitment public as well? Would you let people know that you want to repent and turn to Christ? And let us know, and we'll help you take your best next step. As we finish today, we're going to respond to what Jesus has done for us by showing everybody that we choose the lamb in communion. Would you get out your bread and your cup right now, and we will demonstrate not only to ourselves, preaching ourselves the gospel with this bread and this cup, but also preaching to all those who can see us that we are committed to be, being Christ followers because we do what appears to the world to be a foolish symbol of our faith, a foolish uniting of ourselves with bread and a cup. But really, it's the power of God. It's the participation in the body and blood of Christ. Would you take out your bread now and remember what Jesus Christ has done for you by sacrificing his body in an apparent act of weakness so that we could be made strong and victorious. Would you eat that bread now, declaring his death until he comes again? And take that cup, the cup that is the new covenant poured out in his blood. Remember that you are made pure by the blood of the Lamb, purchased out of this world, out of the mark of the beast, out of the clutches of the dragon, and, and are united to God with Jesus' sacrifice. Let's pray. God, I thank you for 
this action of communion that you have commanded us to do, that you demonstrated for us to do, and that now we get to do every time we gather together. Even if we gather together online, we get to participate in the body and blood of Christ. Lord, we are so looking forward to being gathered together again to do it as the body of Jesus, participating in the body of Jesus. Until that time, Lord, would you allow even our communion in our homes to strengthen our faith, to remind us of your sacrifice, and encourage us to go out and live in a way of the Lamb. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're a little over halfway through Revelation, and we're on our way to the new heaven and the new earth. I hope this time has been encouraging to you. We look forward to meeting and worshiping again together. And when we do, it's going to be a regathering, not a reopening. So, as always, we look forward to worshiping with you again soon. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.